0: Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Already week eight of the college football season. Welcome into Countdown to Kickoff. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. Opening segment. Continuing crosstalk with Brian Perkins and Jordan Kent, co-hosts of the Oregon College Football Show, each and every Saturday right here on 102.9 and 750 The Game. Coming up, we'll talk to Nick Aliotti in 10 minutes. He'll join us live from the Pac-12 Network studios. Pac-12 Network currently airing. Oregon State and Cal homecoming for the Beavs off their bye week. It could not be started any worse. 21 nothing, Golden Bears with the lead on the road in front of the Reezer faithful at the halftime break. We'll also go out live to Pullman and talk to James Crepe of the Oregonian and Oregon Live covers the Ducks. We'll also uh, break down Oregon and Washington State, each and every angle, and all the action around the top 12 and top 25 and the Pac-12. All right, crosstalk Jordan and Neil. First question I have for you guys. A lot of talk around the bye week being an advantage for Washington State. Similar to the talk that we had last week, it was the bye week an advantage for Oregon. How much... Does a bye week factor into college football teams for good or for worse? Are we
1: making too much a deal out of the bye? Well, I think we talked about it last time. It gives you a chance to get a couple guys healed up. And we were mentioning, you know, the guys that have like a sore wrist here or there, sore groin where maybe they're 80, 85% out on the field allows them to get a little bit closer to 100%. But these teams do such a good job of preparation week after week and a lot of these coaches as well, too, where. You know, those extra four or five days of preparation, you're not garnering any new knowledge unless it's against a backup quarterback that just came in recently. Now you have some more films. So for Wazoo, they've seen everything from Morgan. they're going to see prior to their bye week for the most part. And in my opinion, I just think it's more so about the rest and getting guys healthy. But, Neil, I mean, you might see it from a different perspective being a quarterback, what that bye week does as far as your preparation.
2: Well, I, I think... In the college, it's a lot different than the pros when you have a 35- or a 30-year-old or a 28-year-old running back, and the pros, my God, that extra four or five days is great. <laughs> I think conversely that, with a 18-, 19-, 21-year-old, might not need that for the ding. But I think the coaches, we talked about this with Nick Aliotti, about coaches kind of get bored. Mm-hmm. So they got to create something different. The special team guy, let's fake a punt. Let's fake the field goal. Uh, you got three or four more days to prepare for Oregon. But again, I, I say, there's nothing Washington State's backup guy, scout team. How do you really improv- how do you make Oregon, how, do, how can you make up a justin herbert how do you make up a dylan mitchell how do you make up the offensive line that oregon you you try to prepare but you're going to do the best you can to say give us a give us that look hey, hey scout team guys second team guys give us that look by the way uh john bledsoe who's a redshirt freshman you're, you're justin herbert and he's going to say well no i better get my dad because my dad's probably a lot better and he will do a little better job to simulate Justin Herbert, so you have four extra days to prepare for Oregon, but you're going against your second teamers, and that's what folks understand, how do you really make sure this looks like Oregon, Right. and so to me it's coaches having more time, they get bored, let's try something new. And That's where you fall into a rut and fall into some lot of mistakes.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to replicate that speed and as you look at this matchup I think the thing that stands out to me is number one for Oregon It's going to be the most hostile environment. They've played in in a decade easily and we can go back and might be even further than that I'm curious as to how Washington State handles the stage Mm -hmm. and You know all about this Neil about getting up for a game emotionally you can get up too much for a game sometimes to where you're trying to play off of all emotion. and You're not thinking about your assignments and what you have to do. I feel like in this game, a lot of the pressures on Washington State, they're hosting game tape for the first time ever. You've got Oregon coming in. You see this carrot that's dangling in front of them as far as being in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 North potentially if they win. And it seems like it's all about how Washington State handles and manages this stage and all of this emotion. Because I look at Oregon, and with that running game and with that defense, that travels very well. Much like your favorite piece of luggage that rolls on wheels, <laughs> that thing is easy to take with you anywhere. I feel like that's going to do a good job for Oregon mitigating the emotion. Meanwhile... Washington State doesn't find themselves in this position too often on a national stage. Yeah,
2: you're right, and I, I tend to agree with that. We talked about that with Oregon and Stanford game a few weeks ago. Like, Oregon just came out, wow, that energy, the, the Harley-Davidson, the smoke, Phil Knight, you got this, you got game day, same thing, and all of a sudden, second half comes along, and pfft, here we go. You know, So it, you, you might be correcting that. Uh, you're right, I've talked to several people who are on the sidelines who have been around college football for a lot of years, and they travel all over in Pac-12. They say Martin Stadium next to Otson. You, you made this point, and Oregon has not been in this environment on the road. Right. I think you're right. In a long, long time, I said seriously, Martin Stadium. Those forty thousand people, the stands are so close, and I have not played there you, twice. Okay, it's so, loud. It and, is loud. Okay, and they weren't the best teams back in those days. No, right?
1: they, they weren't. They were solid, but right. I remember it, the, it's a unique environment. It's a long walk from the locker room to get onto the field. I mean, it's obviously going to be packed for this game, and then even just They're the emotional right, state of emergency there. <laughs> so I'm looking at how either team handles the emotion. On Oregon's side, it's dealing with all the noise on offense. I think, again, that's where a running game really helps, where yep. you're just handing it off, and your offensive linemen are making blocks and reads as opposed to the additional coordination that goes in the passing game. And then for Washington State, are they? you're going to get their best five minutes of football ever to start this game, but... How do they manage that throughout the game? Do they get burnt out? Does this crowd get burnt out from, you know, hydrating all day long? Well, and
2: Oregon is a first-half team. Let's face <laughs> it, they've been averaging, what, almost 28, 26 mm-hmm. points, almost like top five in the nation, first-half points. Scoring is awesome. Come on, Oregon's scoring 43 points a game. Washington State's 41 points a game. Scoring, scoring, scoring. You talked about LeBron a little bit, the over and unders. It's 70. 70. 70. Uh, and you, I heard you say 38-30. 38-30. So you got it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah, you're there. over the
1: over, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm curious. In this game, the thing I'm looking at here, and I know you guys are going to break this down much more. This is a Washington State offense that likes to get rid of the ball quickly. For Oregon, where does that place the emphasis for them on defense? What's the best way to defend against this type of offense that's going to get the ball out fast to these five different receivers? As you well, mentioned? you got you got these guys' coverages
2: and the concept routes, and I'll get into leeches, air raid, kind of what does that mean? And people have asked me all the time, what what does that mean? Because you have Mouse Davis run and shoot, you got Leach's air raid, and you had Chip Kelly coming in with this and that. Bottom line is it's concepts. If you whatever you do defensively, if you have a half zone half man, the receivers read it. They're gonna adjust their routes. It's not gonna be a five yard hitch. That five yard hitch can be a go, could be a shallow, could be an out based on coverage. That's why I'm amazed at Gardner Menshew from spring mm. on Jordan. He's able to handle. You know, Mike Leach only has about 20 concepts on his little card. You watch mm. him going We got Marino, we got Tannehill, we got man. It's just a concept. Mm. And there's so it sounds simple, very complicated.
1: Yeah. And, and so mix-up coverages I'm excited to hear is a key. I'm excited to hear you guys break it down because it sounds like receivers as well as a quarterback are reading the defense and adjusting to it. Yep.
0: All right. Before we get out, Jordan, you have 38-30 Ducks in yep. this
1: game? Thirty-eight thirty 38-30 Ducks. Brian Perkins. Like you have to ask who I pick. Yeah, no,
0: exactly. <laughs> Perkins, you are on the money. With this last week, what do you got? I got forty-three, forty ducks. Ooh. Baby, Ooh. I think it's going to be high scoring. I, I really—that's what be I had. Game. That's what I
2: had for New England and, and Kansas City. By the way. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right. 40 <laughs> you go. Right on the money. That's exactly what happened. All right. Nick Aliotti will join us coming up in a few moments. Jordan Kent, always good to see you, my man.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: Brian Perkins, appreciate you guys. Fun as always. You're on next week at 3.30 with the Oregon College Football Show. And myself and Neil, we'll, uh, we'll massage the rest of the details of this game and get our own predictions at the very end, because I'm willing to be persuaded one way or the other. I got a thought in my head as to how this is going to go, but I'm willing to be persuaded. So we'll see. More again. More Countdown to Kickoff coming up next on the game. Be sure to tune in right after the game as Oregon takes on Washington State here on 102.9 750 The Game. For the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with myself and Neil Lomax, and you can call in with your reaction to Ducks, Cougars. Should be a great one at 503-417-7575. To the phone lines we go right now and talk for our weekly segment with the former Duck defensive coordinator, now with the Pac-12 Network, Nick Aliotti, Coach, it's Judah It's Neil Lomax. It's great to talk to you once again. How are you on this Saturday? Outstanding. Good afternoon, men. There he is, as always. Love
2: Nick. Love it, Nick.
0: (laughs) Coach, let's just get right into it. Doc's facing the air raid. I mean, where did game planning for a Washington State air raid rank among the most difficult tasks for you as a D coordinator?
3: I tell you what, they're tough because they're going to throw it at a minimum 55 to 60 times. So. When a team throws it that many times, you know that you cannot allow explosion plays. They use their passing game also as their running game with the short screens and to the sideline, those type short passes. But when a team throws it that many times, it is very difficult because with the game spread out the way it is nowadays, you miss one tackle. Even if it's in zone, uh, you got a chance to give up a big play. So they're throwing it a bunch. Very very difficult.
2: Hey Nick. Hey Nick Neal Lomax here. We we talked earlier about the concept routes in any passing system. I mean it's not the old passing tree where you're sticking with a three forty eight wide where the three stays that out and the four stays that hook and that he bases it all on concepts based on coverage. So you guys you know the the chess game here. What you do defensively calling zone on a half or quarters or let's go man. Let's combo, man. Show this look. Disguise. We've called it Hollywood for the first. Tell the snap of the ball, and you get in your cover. That's the game defensively. Obviously, you got to play with this type of offense. Correct?
3: Absolutely. And and, and you bring up a, a good point, uh, Neil. I think that pre-snap looks are key in giving a pre-snap look, and then going to something else on post-snap. And here's why. Here's the reason I think why. First of all, it does confuse the quarterback a little bit. But more importantly, the receivers being on the same page as the quarterback, seeing the same thing. Everybody has to see the same thing. So I think disguising and then changing up coverages and giving them one look and going to another, getting them off their mark as far as not only timing it by disrupting receivers, but timing as far as receivers know whether to sit down in the zone or beat man coverage or whatever they're getting.
2: Yeah, And that sounds easy, Nick, but when you do that, and all of a sudden Hugo Amati can't get to his spot, can't get to his alignment in time, or Lenore can't get back to his corner press in time. It, it sounds, But, man, if you guys can't get def- your 11 guys aligned properly at this snap, Pretty, pretty difficult.
3: I'm sorry to interrupt. You're exactly right. You know, the the words we used is never disguise at the expense of not getting to where you have to be. There you go. And and I think the toughest ones, Neil, are the three-by-ones spread formations because it's a lot harder to disguise those at times than the two-by-twos or, you know, the normal formation. But the three-by-ones, when they're spread way out, it's hard to disguise that. And I know Levitt wants to bring some pressure and has to bring some pressure to what uh, mints you a little bit. It's harder to disguise those three-by-ones. Plus, it just, they throw it so quick that pressure, you'll have to see whether pressure is a factor as opposed to just your four-man rush.
0: Nick Eliotti joining us on Countdown to Kickoff. Coach, fascinated by the breakdown of how to try to slow down this Washington State offense, they feature their running back in the pass game a good amount, this uh, James Williams. You know, how important is it to game plan for the running back in the passing game when you're a defensive coordinator this week?
3: Well, I don't think, you know... You're not gonna like the answer. I don't think you have to change anything up. You just gotta make sure guys that are playing their rules, whether it's man or zone, understand, you know, leverage, arrow swing on three on two or three, who has the wheel route, uh, keeping leverage on things. Uh, if you got a man you gotta hug up on the guy. Can't give them space; those kinds of things. I don't think it. I don't think it changes really, other than the fact that you got to know that it's a viable part of their offense. I don't, I don't really see you changing much, uh, particularly if you think you can match up cover in the back, and and they'll probably do it with some kind of nickel guy or hybrid guy when they're in their man coverages.
0: For the Ducks defensively as well, who has stood out to you this year that that may have surprised you?
3: Well, I, I think that. Amadi, I'm not gonna I would just call him Hugo, he, he's done a nice job as far as he seems to be the guy that's the leader. I knew he was a pretty good player coming back and a senior, but this year what I'm impressed by is not only his play, which has been very solid, but his leadership. He seems to be the guy that everybody's looking to on the field, you know, for, for guidance and, and, and well, just leadership. And he also comes across to me not being in the huddle or on the field with him as a guy that really understands the defense and really understands what the offense is doing uh, by formation against you. And he's talking and getting guys ready to go before the ball snaps. So, to me, he's the guy that, that, that has to show up big time today, uh, getting everybody on the same page.
2: I, I would agree with that. And I don't know a lot of the personnel as well as you do, Nick, but I look at Hugo uh as well as Troy Dye. I've been really impressed with Troy Dye, how he's been playing. I mean, he leads the team, you know, in total tackles. And Amagi's right behind him, you know, with 27. And uh, it's been impressive to watch these guys. And you did talk about bringing in a nickelback. I don't know if it's Javon Holland's going to come in to pick up Williams. Uh, as you know, as a defensive coordinator, you don't want to have a, a Justin Hollins or maybe a Lamar Winston Jr. man-to-man if that's not your best man player, right? You'll game plan... That nickel back to take Williams out of that backfield?
3: Absolutely. I, I'm not going to, you know, it's just like the old spy defense deal. You know, yeah. hey, we need a spy. Yeah, you had the robber, so to the robber in the middle? Yeah. If you're spying with somebody that can't run with the quarterback or the person you're spying, it really, it <laughs> sounds good, but it doesn't feel do a whole lot of good. You know, like you're, they're not going to ask me to spy somebody. But uh, yeah, you have to match up in your coverage and make sure a guy, that is covering that back, can cover him. Just like if you're spying a a running quarterback, you have to someone that that can run with him and, and track him down. So that's very important.
0: You know, Nick, we talked about how much emotion there was going into last week's game for the Ducks against the rival Huskies and how important it was to channel that emotion in order to really you know play at a high level on the field there's a different kind of emotion for this game with Washington State getting game day there for the first time ever they're in the AP top 25 they're coming off the bye week you know what what should Washington State's message be for their side with all this pent up emotion and all this expectation going into this game
3: well you know it's Oregon Oregon facing this weekend, what Washington had to face last weekend going to Austin. Uh Washington State's coming off a bye. Oregon was coming off a bye against Washington. Washington State's at home this weekend. Oregon was at home last weekend. Big crowd, emotional, a lot of emotion involved in the game. The fans are going to be going wild for, for the Cougs, just like they were in, in Austin last week for Oregon. So it's just a week later Oregon being on the other side of this game and Washington State being on the side that Oregon just came off of, if that makes sense. So, uh, really, I think it's going to be a really good football game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And I think it's going to be very, very, very important for Washington State early to keep their emotions in check and not go over the top. Being excited, but not being go over the top to where you lose your thought process and what you have to do uh, with the business at hand.
2: Yeah, I hear this is a tough place to play with the crowd noise. I mean, Nick, so last week, I hear you saying another shit. So last week, you totally blew it. You had a shootout. You had Washington winning in a shootout, okay? Because I know you're the expert. You're the expert, and I'm the expert. I was wrong, too. I had Oregon winning by like 18 or 17. So here, here you go. What, what do you think? What, what do you, what's your thought?
3: Give us your pick. You know what? And I own up to it, too, Neil. I, I, <laughs> I know. I don't want to remind you. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think Washington would win that game based on experience. Now, if they kick the field goal, I'm right. They don't make the field goal. That's part of football. So I get it. What do I think this weekend? I Just like last weekend, I was worried about the home crowd. I'm concerned Washington State at home, game day, wild, going to be excited. It's, I, I think the spread is about right. I think Washington State pulls the upset mm. in a close football game. They're not going to cook it? Well, I don't think they're going to coog it. <laughs> I think it's going to be a close game. No, I don't think they are. I, you know, oh. and, and this is one This is what really I didn't want to have to call. I think it's very close. I think it could go either way. But I'm not going to sit on the fence. I think at home – Looking at all the scenarios in the same situation that Oregon was in last weekend, I think Washington State uh, pulls it out in a close one. Well, there
0: you have it. You can never call him a homer. This is back-to-back weeks that Aliotti's picking against the Ducks. But, Coach, appreciate you staying true to your word and joining us every week. Great to talk to you.
3: Well, let me just say it with this. I didn't pick who I'm pulling for. Wait, wait, <laughs> That's right. No, I, we, right. we get that. I picked, we get that. I picked who... I picked who I thought would win based on what I know. And you know the great thing about this chair? You're always right. You're never wrong. (laughs) Because you got next weekend to just say something different.
1: That's right.
0: Appreciate you as always, Coach. (laughs) Take Take care, Nick. All right, guys. I appreciate you. Have a great day. You too. Nick Aliotti. Love that. He's got the Cougs in another close game. Let's keep on that guest train, shall we? Neil Lomax just booked a surprise Washington State-themed guest. He's coming up in the next segment here on The Game. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frostbrood Coors Light on 102.9 and 750 The Game. Oregon Ducks, Washington State Cougars, 4.30 kick on Fox, and we're taking you all the way up to that moment. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax, here on 102.9750 The Game. Shout out Peter Sampson, spinning it behind the glass, as always. Well, it's going to be a big football game. Of course, game day on the scene in Pullman for the first time in school history. If you watched it at all on ESPN today, what an atmosphere What a crowd, what a vibe. Hard not to appreciate uh, what Washington State fans brought to the table this morning on ESPN. It was a lot of fun. Second time that Oregon has been featured on game day this year. The other, of course, being September 22nd, losing in overtime to the Stanford Cardinal. Neil, you walked in the door today, said there was one Washington State former quarterback that you'd love to talk to today. And then you went ahead and booked him on the show, Neil. I mean, that's amazing.
2: Absolutely. I, I You know, I tried Ryan Leaf, but I, I couldn't get him. <laughs> I
0: could. Come on,
2: come on, Ryan. Tried Tim Rosenbaugh, who was drafted by the Cardinals when I was there. Yep. No, I'm kidding. Mark Rippon's been a great friend of mine for many, many years. Uh, I, I still think, I mean, there's been the throwing Samoan, Jack Thompson's, and the blood slows and all that. But I think Mark was a great, great quarterback there at Wash State. And obviously, people don't know about his pro career. Uh, Super Bowl MVP and hey Mark, welcome to the show and where are you right now?
4: Hi Neil, uh, Danielle, I are in uh, Washington D.C. and and hello Judah, nice to uh, get on the line with you guys and talk a little Coug football and Duck football.
0: <laughs> it's awesome, Mark. It's great. I mean, the vibes got to be so high for a former Coug like yourself for a game like this.
4: Unbelievable. I'm missing all the excitement down there. You know, I'm uh, we got the big Redskin Cowboy game this week and. And I had a uh, obligation, foundation obligation, uh, to come up here and 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 do that game, or else I'd be right in the thick of things, waving my coog flag and uh, getting in with all the all the great coogs that are down there and the ducks that are down there.
2: Yeah, Mark, I was watching game day earlier, and you know Drew was on there. I go, oh come on, it had to get ripped, but you had an <laughs> obligation that, uh, with the Redskins this weekend, and so Pullman, uh, some of your memories. Uh, I know you're in the '80s and stuff, and it ha- you didn't have the best teams, but you guys were fun to watch. G- give us some of your best memories playing college football uh, in Pullman.
4: Well, you know um, we are competitive. Uh, I think each each uh, each time I look back on on the you know the pictures of the guys I played with, or as you have Neil when, when you would play the guys at Portland State, or all the memories of the fellows that uh, you know that you practiced with and played with and did things in the. Uh, you know, up in the in the dorms and the, you know, on campus and the fun that you had, and you remember those times, and uh, you remember the wins, that are also you remember the losses, but uh, we were very competitive, and to be a guy, you know, of my size and doing the rump term os- option at uh, 6'4", 234 pounds, but having guys like Reuben Mays and Kerry Porter in your backfield, you know, giving you, giving you a boost uh, if the passing game wasn't going the way it should, and and we were pretty uh, diversified. We ran the ball. We threw the ball a little bit and, and had some success. But uh, more importantly, it was a college atmosphere, the experience there that uh, you'll, I'll never forget. And, 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 and those guys, I'll never forget that experience I had.
2: Yeah, Rip, besides the Apple Cup with, with the Huskies, who was kind of the rivalry games? I mean, now Oregon, Oregon's it's the Huskies. I mean, besides, you know, Oregon State, they've been beating them up the last two or three decades. But... It's 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 Washington, Oregon, Washington State, uh, without the Huskies. Who, who was kind of your big rival games in the in the pack? It was pac Ten then, right? pac Ten, yes. yeah. area, uh, you, you were almost Pack Eight, weren't we? <laughs> or maybe this pac Six? <laughs> I don't. <know.
4: laughs> no, that was six pack. Nah, <laughs> six pack. <yeah>. Six <laughs> we,
2: we we had those after the game too. So.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, at any time you you're your recruiting, you're recruiting Oregon, you're recruiting uh, Washington um, and, and Northern California. So anytime we played Oregon, Oregon State, we used to have the, better, the upper hand against Oregon State. Uh, when I was there, you know, we, I was 3 of 5 against the Huskies, and I think we were uh, 4 or 5 against the Ducks. And uh, so, you know, that's what you wanted to do in order to be able to be successful recruiting. And then uh, obviously having, you know, Ryan, Drew Bledsoe, Ryan Leaf, and Jason Gesser take us to finally the, the promised land, which, you know, is a Rose Bowl, uh, was a culmination of what you always want to do and, and the hard work that you put in. But uh, having the groundwork and, and, and being a Coug and, and seeing the throwing Samoan, I went there because of Jack Thompson. Yeah. And, and Neil, you know, you and I both know that, and with uh, due respect to you too, one of the greatest people around because, you know, I, I look at uh, guys like yourself and, and, uh, and Jack and, and you know, the, the guys that played before me and think of the, you know, doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to come from a, a USC, a Notre Dame, uh, Miami, Florida. You can come from a Portland State, a Washington State and, and be successful in whatever you want to be. And, and uh, so I think that's just, I was always a Cougar from day one, and it's, uh, it's always been a great rivalry, the Duck-Cougar uh, rivalry. We've had the better of them the last four or five times. Overall, the last 15 years, though, I think the Ducks have kind of taken it to us, so it'll be an interesting matchup, you know. Um, our quarterback's playing real well. Uh, the guy in Oregon, they say, is going to be probably one of the top picks, you know, in the draft, uh, Her- Herbert. And, right. And I just think that uh, this is a matchup of uh, two great quarterbacks and two very under underrated defenses, you know, that are maybe undersized but fly around and, and, and are very athletic.
0: We're on the phone right now talking to the former Washington State quarterback, Mark Rippon, and the two-time Super Bowl champion and former Super Bowl MVP with the Washington Redskins. Mark, the head coach, Mike Leach, an eccentric figure, to say the least. You know, what are your thoughts about Mike as a as a head coach in college football? and His system that he's got offensively seems to be a dream for quarterbacks as well, given the number of pass attempts they put up.
4: Well, Neil Neil knows what it's like to throw, you know, with with uh, Pokey Allen and, and, and Mouse Davis and, and the guys he had down there at Portland State. He knows what it's like to ice your arm down after practice, and and I think that's what uh, that's what uh, you know Mike does. I mean, he runs a um, uh, a no huddle offense at practice, and that's just the philosophy he has, and, and he hasn't changed. If he's if he's seven points up with uh, you know two minutes and forty seconds to go, he's gonna he's gonna run a play in 10-15 in seconds and everyone's going to look at him and go wait there's a 30 second clock how come you're not running it down That's just his philosophy that's just his way he does things and, and he hasn't changed uh, he was at 10 of 11 bowl games at, at Texas Tech. once he got his guys at Washington State he's been to you know three consecutive bowl games now and is in the process here of a win away from going to his fourth straight and I just really have um, a total respect for, for Mike leach might uh, uh, you know not only for what he does, Uh, offensively but what for what he's been able to do uh, to bring athletes to Pullman not the easiest place to um, you know have a you know football players to come and get their education and and play football so uh, he's done a wonderful job in 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 that area and he's brought a lot of exposure to the university and uh, and as far as I'm concerned he's when I'm with him I've just been a a total fan of, of what he's been able to do and and uh,
2: who he is. Yeah, and it's interesting, Mark, you say that. And we he, he brings back the fun. You know, and people forget about that because college football now, like the NFL, multi-billion dollar business and all the instant replays, the technology. But, when you know, you and I played to throw the football that many times and watching you at Washington State in a, in a bigger stage for the Pac-10 back in those days and myself at a lower level, but still to throw it, you know, 60 times, 70 times, you know, not even have a punter on your roster. It was a blast for us. You know, just the fun, you know, the fun came back. And I think you look at Mike Leach and the personality-wise, that guy's not fun, but look what he's done there. I mean, it's unbelievable. And he even brought Steve Spurrier's kid there. He's one of the wide receivers coach, and that's the old ball coach. You remember, you and I played a lot of golf with Steve. And it's just okay. having a coach to put fun back in it, you know, what does that mean? It
4: means everything. I mean, the kids want to practice. The kids want to go to – you know, uh, dress and get ready on a Saturday morning, and mm-hmm. and take a you know take care of themselves throughout the week, and and um, and also I think as a as a uh, news cover guy, sports cover guy, you're just waiting for that interview, that media interview with Mike Mike Leach to find out, you know what what, <laughs> what is he going to bring out of the what is he going to pull out of the hat this week? You know, uh, with Halloween coming up again, he says, you know what I, I, those those little um, those uh, candy, those candy little things, you know that I'm just not a big those candy corn little things, you know that you, I'm not a big fan of those. You know, he's talking about Halloween, Halloween uh, treats uh, on a week before a game. He's, you know, that's just uh, his his mind kind of wanders, but it's always in a in a very fun and and uh, not not out there to hurt anyone place, but it uh, it does kind of kind of make you wonder, you know, what's going
2: on up there. Well, that's his disguise, though, speaking of Halloween. Yeah, that's just a mask. You know him deep inside. He knows what the hell he's doing. Pirate, that, that Those yeah. concept those oh, concept yeah. routes that those guys run on his little play sheet, I mean, he's got them all in that three-by-five card mark, and he's just kind of going, you know, Marino, ripping Loma. It's it's that concept routes that those guys got to be in the same place. Talk to the folks a little bit about how, how complicated it is, but if you do it a lot, it's pretty fun to watch when it all works.
3: Well, you
4: know, I've I've, I've gotten uh, you know, we played in a different era. You know, we've done you're you're Don Coriel, yeah. I was Joe Joe Gibbs, and passing tree. You we know, were the four ninety five, four ninety five, seven thirty five, the route tree, and all that. This is you know, this is about people finding areas, finding open space, and and um, you know, reading coverages and coverages that take you to certain. It's it's still basic football. Coverages depict where you're going to throw it to, and uh, they just got a system that that works. You know, it's, um, it's it's very simple, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be a, a 20-yard comeback that we used to throw and had to throw. It's a it's a five-yard ball over the center that turns into a 20-yard uh, completion. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are the things that a quarterback in, 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 in a Mike Leach system, um, you're going to be 40 for 60 for 340 yards and three touchdowns, and, you know, not, not any of your balls are going to go 15, 20 yards downfield. But you're going to make plays, and you're going to stay patient. And if you are a patient quarterback in, in a system like that, you're going to be a successful player.
0: Well, Mark Neal keeps on saying every Saturday, the way that the refs are calling these, these penalties in favor of the quarterbacks each and every week, he could still play. <laughs> uh, do you feel like you can get out there and still sling it if, uh, if you played under these rules? Heck no!
4: <laughs> I, 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 def, I definitely wouldn't be as worried as I was. I yeah. mean, you know, we had to worry twice a year about Lawrence Taylor coming around the corner. Um, Neil and I did, and that's that was never fun. And then we had the the Sam Mills and the Ricky Jacksons and the you know guys like that. But um, and, and 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 the Reggie Whites and and they just didn't they just didn't lay you down softly. You know, they try to pile drive you and, and take take you. Take your family out as they tackled you. You know, so uh, now you get within five feet, and if you got a free shot and the guy's just moving his arm forward, you basically got to open your arms up. You can't even touch him, and it's just a different, uh, a different era. Um, You know, guys like Roy Green that you played with, and Gary Clark that I played with, and Art and Ricky, um, they would have a field day not having to be touched at the line of scrimmage. I mean, those guys were just—they had great careers anyway. Could you imagine them now? I mean, it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, the couldovs the, could ofs, the could are amazing, Mark. But we look back, we're very, uh, you know, we're very content. We are. I know you really well. I thank you so much. Tell Danielle hi. You know, it's great to have you on the air here and talk about what a great experience and atmosphere it must be at Pullman right now. I'm sorry you're you're missing it, but you're going to watch it on TV, and uh, we appreciate
0: you being on, Mark.
4: You betcha. Thanks, Neil and Judah. Thank you for having me. And uh, go Cougs.
0: You got it, Mark Ripon. Hey, thanks so much. That is awesome. That is so good. To hear you guys talk about, you know, quarterbacking and the different offensive systems you're in, the philosophies of the position and man, Neil, that's a great guest right there. Look well, at
2: that. He's a good he's a great friend. Uh not just a guest and uh, I called him a couple of days ago and you know, even Jack Thompson and a lot of guys we've we've gone through the circuit together years ago and charity events. You know, everybody had golf tournaments and I had our, our quarterback shootout for years and Mark would come down. By the way, he's like a plus two handicap, legit. Whoa. Oh, no, he, he can. I will not bet that guy in the golf course. He's really good. <laughs> Glad
0: to have him on. Yeah, appreciate you, Mark Rippin. Thanks a lot. Nick Aliotti, then Mark Rippin. We'll see what else we have in store coming up as we get you down to kickoff. Neil Lomax, Judah on 1029-750, the game. We'll go live to Pullman in about 10 minutes and talk to James Crepe of the Oregonian in Oregon live, breaking down Oregon Wazoo. Ducks 12th in the AP poll, Wazoo 25th. The Ducks on the road. Underdogs by a field goal. The over-under now resting comfortably at 70.5. Neil, well, we'll see if you go over or under the 70.5 total. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, let's go around the Pac-12, talk about some of these uh, marquee games. Oregon State, homecoming, off the bye week, taking on Cal. 28-0 Golden Bears midway through the third quarter. Neil, on a scale of 1-10, to how disappointed are you in this current score with the Beavers and Cal? Like 10, meaning I'm, I'm like, max disappointed.
2: Like, yeah. I'm so frustrated. I'm burning everything black and orange. Yes. Even before Halloween.
0: Yeah, before Halloween. And,
2: <laughs> I, I can't everything black and orange. No, this is a 9-5. This is a 9-5. Wow. I, I talked to Kanzano early in the week. And we were talking about this, the running game, and Cal's. I mean, Cal's averaging 4.5 turnovers a game. That debacle at home with UCLA, I mean, made, made Chip feel good. No, I, I had Oregon State winning by a touchdown or more because of Jefferson and the party Pierce, the running game. You got Pierce and Jefferson going at it. And I I still say Lamar Jamar Jefferson is the freshman of the year in the Pac 12 right now. If I had to make votes going forward right now as who who, who's done what, who's been, you know, top picks, I think best off best freshman of the year, no question, should be Jamar Jefferson.
0: Yeah, he's on pace to, uh, to set some pretty historic marks uh, from a freshman perspective in this game. But right now, you look at it, I mean, the Beavers are 3-for-12 on third down. That's certainly not going to help. They've committed one turnover, one interception thrown. They're averaging only two and a half yards a rush. But but they just scored. They did. Okay, they just
2: scored. Okay, Jack so, Coletto's in the game. Wow. Go, Go Camas, paper makers.
0: He's in the game. It's about to be 28-7. to 7. So, and the an extra point just slips through the upright. There you go, twenty-eight-seven Cal over the Beavs midway through the third quarter. But
2: and, and I'll just say the similarities again is the quarterback position. Cal's gone through what three quarterbacks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Chase Bowers is playing today. No, Mac- Gar- Garbers is. Garbers, playing is, today. Oh, that's right. You're right. Garbers is playing today. You know McElwain is out. You know Jake Luton still injured. Uh, Connor Blunt played, and now Jack Coletto's in the game. Our local boy. So you have a consistency in that position that inconsistency leads to everything else. But when you have the running game, again, that's why I picked Oregon State to win this game, and I'm
0: wrong. Guess how many rushes Jamar Jefferson has. Just guess. I'm going under 10. He has two. Artavis Pierce returned, right? He has 12, so they're giving the ball to Pierce, but Jamar Jefferson has only two rushes. you got to get him more touches. There's got to be an
2: injury. There has to be an injury. Decision in that, I okay. would think. So yeah. we'll, we'll, that that's... It sounds
0: like Jefferson is banged up in some capacity. So uh, we'll get that confirmed here in a moment, too. Also ongoing, number 15, Washington, leading Colorado 24 to 13. That one with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Looks like the Huskies are going to get back in the win column. LaVisca Chennault not playing in this game for Colorado. Peyton Henry has made a field goal in this game for (laughs) UW. You know, Washington's still one of those teams, Neil, that uh, is going to be a Pac-12 North contender. Unfortunately for them, you know, they give one up in overtime to Oregon last week, but they've responded nicely. The defense came to play again in a big way at home.
2: And and you flipped a coin on that. Colorado has been disappointing. This will be kind of, quote, their swan dive, going to SC and kind of laying an egg there, did not play well. Uh, Montez, I had him being the top three quarterback behind Justin Herbert, uh, Gardner Minshew, and I had Steven Montez at number three, yep. even above Jake Browning and how well he's performed. And no question, my MVP, uh, offensive MVP for the Pac-12, is LaVisca Chanel, Jr. He's been amazing how many positions he's played. He's played the, you know, the, the Wildcat, he's been a slot, he's played a tailback, he's played X, he's played Z on both sides of the ball. Pretty incredible athlete, Jude. And you, you were talking about him a couple of weeks ago as your shining, shining star of the Pac-12.
0: No question. This kid out of the state of Texas, Alabama, was recruiting him. And to be honest, the only reason he didn't choose Bama as a four-star receiver prospect is he wanted to get out of the heat and the humidity. At least that's the story he gave. So we picked Boulder and uh, has been lining it up and has been such a fun athlete to watch. Speaking of athletes, that's what USC has, man. They've got athletes. But they're going on the road to Utah, Neil. Five-point underdogs are the Trojans playing in Rice Eccles. Five o'clock kick on Pac-12 Network, and a game between the Utes and Trojans that could very well determine the Pac-12 South. There was a lot of preseason hype for Utah. Both you and myself still picked USC to win the South mm-hmm. before the year. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this matchup?
2: Well, in the same way I felt about Colorado going in, they were five and zero, but they have never beat USC. Of course, they haven't been in the Pac-12, uh, you know, for decades and decades, like the Oregon's. And, Washington's and Washington State, but still 0-12. USC has not fared well in the state of Utah at all. Uh, so I have Utah winning this football game because of Tyler Huntley. I think he's clicking. He's doing real well. You know, Utah, I think, is the hottest team right now. Uh, that, that win at Stanford was very impressive as well. Mm-hmm. So they're playing at home. You know, they, they do a great job covering the spread or playing really well at home. So I like Tyler Huntley in this, beating up USC at home.
0: Yeah, Utah's offense really starting to play well. We'll, we'll talk more Arizona-UCLA. We'll also get Neil's thoughts on Stanford-Arizona State later on in the show. Coming up, Peter Sampson's got a scoreboard update. Oregon State getting some momentum late third quarter. Now James Crepia, the Oregonian, will join us in four minutes as well. Countdown to kickoff. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax on the game. Welcome back. Countdown to kickoff. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. We'll talk to James Crepia from the Oregonian and Oregon live, live from Pullman, coming up here in a few minutes, and uh, get his thoughts on the matchup, Ducks and Cougs. Cougs are a field goal favorite. At home. Neil, a lot to unpack in this game as well, man. But uh, you know, first off, I think I don't wanna overcomplicate the dynamics going into this football game. Yes, the emotions are high, but Oregon's got a more physical football team and they've got a better quarterback. You know, at some point it's sometimes comes down to those two things, right? Who wins the physical battle? Who spins it better? Oregon's got to checked off both categories, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with the physicality that Mario Cristobal has has brought to this team, and it has not been that, that brand. It hasn't been the footprint of Oregon the last, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I think uniforms has a lot to do with that, and the skill players have a lot to do with that. The flashy, sexy plays from Chip Kelly... Uh, you know, Mark Helfridge kept it going a little bit. And now you bring in Mario Cristobal, who brings this, hey, we're we're, we're going downhill. Right. We're going downhill. And you look at Mike Leach, that personality, and to Mario Cristobal, they, they can't be polar opposites. But numbers don't lie. They're very similar. The two coaches aren't, but they're very similar. From the quarterbacks to kind of defensively. I mean, Mark Rippin kind of brought it up. Washington State, 14th nationally in total defense. But – they're, lead, they're number one in the nation in passing yards. I mean, Garden Menchu has been averaging over 400 yards a game, 400 yards of passing. That's very impressive. It's
0: Neil Lomax's
2: numbers. Well, it was the first half at Portland State, of course. <laughs> you know, and Justin Herbert's at 268 yards per game, and but he's averaging over 55 passes a game. You just go down the numbers, passing percentages. Justin Herbert's at 63. That's the number. Here's the number I look at is passing percentage. I don't care how many times you throw. What is your passing completion percentage? Justin Herbert's at 63%. Very good. Gard Menchu, 68%. That's incredible. And that gives him a quarterback rating of 151. I mean, 200 is perfect. But quarterback rating... Justin Herbert's at 171.
0: Yeah. Let's go to Pullman right now and talk to James Crepia from the Oregonian in Oregon Live. James, thanks for joining us again on Countdown to Kickoff. A lot has been made of the atmosphere in Pullman with game day in town. What's the vibes in the field that uh, you have out there right now?
5: Well, so far I just got back up from the field pregame and you can tell that the student section has filled in almost entirely so far and the rest of the stadium is slowly getting there. I mean, we obviously got nearly an hour to kick off here, but the student section is quite rapid. Uh, so they're rather enthused already, and that was with 90 minutes to kick. And you get your pregame shots of TV you know, going around and getting shots of the crowd, and they were just going absolutely bananas already. So you can imagine that yes, an hour from now, once this game is ready to kick off, I'd imagine the stadium, even though it's only 32 33,000 seats, the it's me- going to be quite a uh, raucous environment.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the message that Mario Cristobal has been giving to his football team as this week has unfolded. What kind of you know language has he used? What kind of message has he been you know relaying to you guys, the media, as this uh, as they've gotten further and further away from the emotional win over U Dub and closer and closer to another emotional kick with Wazoo.
5: Well, what you hear from Cristobal, and it's no surprise, uh, a lot of it is about discipline, about moving on, about getting past, moving just as you would try and get past the loss, you got to get past the win, and you got to refocus. And you would hear that from him anyway because, first of all, he's a very disciplined guy, and that's kind of what you drill home. But I think you hear, from that, you hear that from him even more now because well, where did he come from, guys? He came from Alabama. What's the Alabama ethos? What is Nick Saban's thing for the last 20-some-odd years? The process. It's about the process. Don't focus on the results. It's the process. The process the being into everything. Now, it's very Zen-like, and it sounds like that. But nevertheless, that, you can't argue with the success. If you can manage to stick to that all the time, good and bad, and it's, look, it's a hell of a lot easier when you're winning every week and you're doing what Albert's been doing in the last decade. But when you're trying to replicate that... And, guys, when you have the success, the buy-in becomes that much easier. I think Paul is trying to do that here, obviously, at Oregon and trying to get that to work. We'll see this week. This is the biggest test for sure. You go from one week to the next. I don't think the move from Stanford to Cal, the loss to that the refocus to Cal, I don't think that was quite as difficult as this. I don't because I think you can get past that somewhat easier because of other factors. I think success will have a huge win and a more emotional win can be more difficult with the road test coming up. Here we'll see if they manage to do it. Hey, Oregon's in a heck of a spot if they manage to win this game.
2: Hey, James, uh, Neil Lomax here. One that one of the numbers that sticks out to me, and I'm kind of the offensive guy, and looking at the offensive numbers and these quarterbacks. But you just talked about Mario Cristobal and the discipline, uh the Sabanist stuff. It's penalties. You're on the road now, you know, at Washington State. The noise, the atmosphere. Penalties. I'm looking down here. Oregon has the fewest penalties in the Pac-12, and last year they had the most. That, that's that's an incredible turnaround.
5: Uh, Unquestionable. Masses to go from to go from worst to first in almost any category is enormous. Do it when it's a negative category like penalty yards and helps overall It's humongous. It You is we can't overstate that. Now look for years, and it wasn't just last year. For years, Oregon have been very very poor in penalties. Yep, that's right. Some of which was due to the fact that. Pre-snap penalties would happen because of tempo, sometimes. All right, you've got to take the good with the bad with that. That's it. Anybody would tell you, Chris, the ball would be the first to play. You, you do the pre-snap penalties on offense and get behind the chains early and get into those first and 15s, which you mentioned this week, because of what Washington State does and the defensive line does. You mentioned the environment and everything else. You do that, crunch the numbers. You see, teams don't have success consistently when you start doing that. You start shooting yourself in the foot, get the first and 15, second and 15, second and 13th. You're in a world of hurt. You're in for three and outs. You can't just expect to get bailed out every time by a great quarterback you might have or a great running back you might have. That doesn't happen in the long run. Sooner or later, you're going to run into a brick wall doing that. That's big this week because, as just mentioned, this environment's going to be crazy. This defensive line likes to stem and stunt before the snap. They're trying to draw you offside. They're trying to get you to false start. If you're not disciplined, you're going to be at first and 15 all night long, and that's a recipe for disaster. Oregon absolutely has to be disciplined on the offensive line. Can I, create, can I have three snap penalties? And they focused on that this week. They focused on noise. They did a lot of silent count stuff And while we are out there watching practice. That was a focus and point of emphasis this week. And, look, we're ultimately going to see. We're going to see a test kick pretty early on. And you're going to match the first quarter right after
2: the kick Yeah, and that's, a, that's amazing, James, you bring that up, because Oregon right now is number one in the Pac-12 in third down conversions at 52%. That's number eight in the nation at 52%. And you're right on. It's the false starts. You're right. Tempo, it's the false start, especially on the road. It just kills you to get that, like you said, first and 15.
5: Yeah, you, get, you break down those fair down numbers further, get into and take a look and see the number of attempts that Oregon has had from third and one to three, third and three or less, third and four to seven, and then go third and seven plus, and then compare that to years past. There's going to be a difference there because, not just because you have Justin Herbert, and not just because CJ is a fine pack. They've had plenty of fine packs in Oregon for a mm-hmm. long time. If you only not need to that. It's because you avoid the pre-snap penalties. That's the reason. And it's a heck of a lot easier to convert home, road, neutral site, doesn't matter.
2: That's a good it's point. It's a heck
5: of a lot easier to yeah. convert at third and seven or less or third and four or less than it is third and seven plus. Nobody in the country does well third and seven plus. Nobody. I don't care if you're home, road, uh, it doesn't matter. If you're third and seven plus, you're in a world of
0: hurt. James Krapia, the Oregonian, joining us live on Countdown to Kickoff right now. Drew Danube, Neil Lomax. James is live in Pullman right now. Hey, James, uh, you know, for Oregon defensively, you know, I love the, the question and answer that you had with uh, Theo Lawson of the Spokesman Review this week who covers Washington State. He compared Gardner Minshew to Baker Mayfield, you know, and that caught my eye just from a moxie standpoint and a leadership standpoint. You know, what do you see in Gardner Minshew and were you surprised by the uh, the Baker-Mayfield comp?
5: I think more in the mentality, obviously. Let's not get into pure raw physical skills. Right, yet. yeah,
2: sure. Exactly.
5: Let's not going to go there just yet because, obviously, Baker ended up being the first overall pick. You know that. But let's also remember that Baker also started his career as a walk on of Texas Tech before yeah. he moved on. Good right? point. So let's right. remember yeah, that's the other part of it. So you can say, well, i make sure East Carolina. How good could he, could he really be? Yeah, well, where, where did Baker-Mayfield start his career? So let's remember that, you know, sometimes guys really are done in the rough and develop it, and not the same guy at 21 and 22 that they were when they were 16 and 17. you got to get yeah, that part up. The other part, I do think from a moxie standpoint, from a fatality standpoint, look, guys, there is something to be said for it. Now, graduate transfer is more common now. And you see it more in the quarterback position. But let's remember, this guy was committed to go to Alabama to said. He was ready to go. And right now, if he were there, let's face it, he may not be doing what Stu is doing right now. But no. <laughs> he's not pretty, he, he, I'm not even sure he'd have the starting job, quite frankly, because Stu is that good. But nevertheless, he was ready to compete for the starting job against that and join that team and probably, probably at least contend for, it, if not win a national championship. But Mike Leach gave him a call and said, well, you could potentially sit on the bench there or you could leave the country in passing here. And he bought into that. But he didn't have spring football to join in and learn the offense and do all that. He had to do all that in July and August right. in the fall camp. And there's something to be said for him. I know graduate chances, that's part of the deal, but he didn't do it in January. He wasn't a big year guy. For him to come in in the summer and quickly adapt and put up the numbers, and you know with the air raid that he's going to put up huge numbers, but the touchdown interception ratio, and yes, the moxie and the character and all that. Now, you're not seeing the negative side of that with i'll say that with gardner compared to baker baker had plenty of issues off the field and sometimes on the field because of you know his attitude and whatnot you haven't quite seen that thus far with gardner and i don't think you will but nevertheless I do see a little bit of the personality similarities. Again, let's get past the raw talent because that's that's just unfair.
0: Right, hey James, what about Oregon's offensive line? The loss of Penay Sewell with the uh, high ankle injury probably going to be out for the rest of the regular season. You know, what's the plan there in terms of personnel, and then what do you expect from that unit uh, given the uh, the injury at left tackle?
5: Well, the plan is to basically do what they did uh, for the second half of last week, which was to move from Calvin Brock from right to left. Yellow been on the right side. Now, a lot of teams would not necessarily be able to fill in so easily for even a true freshman. Yes, the Penae was, but the true freshman was playing basically at a freshman All-American level. Not too many teams could instantly replace that so easily. Oregon's line is deep, is experienced, and now they're all fourth-year juniors starting. That's the positive. Now, the negative, if you guys saw this past week from the pro football focus analytics and you know, stats that they had breakdown from last week, he said, well, yeah, Justin Herbert didn't get pressured a whole lot last week against Washington, but the only four pressures that were allowed were all allowed by Brady ILO in the second half off the right side. That said, the game when he play in overtime came between the right guard and the right tackle right up the middle. So, you know, it goes both ways. He was thrown into a game, wasn't necessarily expecting to play in that spot, but he was prepared and ready for it. He did a serviceable job. Do you have to be a little bit concerned just because the name was playing so well the first six games that the rest of the way – tonight is necessarily that night just from a pass rush standpoint, but because of again their pre snap movements, their stems, their motions. I think that's a concern in general. I don't think that has anything to do with Brady Al. I think that has to do with the whole line has to worry about that just because I don't care who the line is, I don't care who the opponent is. When the defensive line does as much movement as Washington State does, it's just something you have to worry about. Something you have to focus on because when you're the road team, the home team's doing that and the crowds into it. That's a challenge. <laughs> it just is very, very tough. But I, I do think that Oregon's obviously very confident in the skill that they're throwing out there the rest of the way. Hey, J-
2: hey, James, again, Neil Lomax here. Let's, let's flip it over to the other side as a quarterback. So you're watching practice defensively. Uh, coverage, pressure, nickelbacks, six defensive backs, too high. Oregon's plan to disguise, to disrupt. In the secondary. I know you got to bring pressure. Everybody says that. We talk, oh, yeah, bring pressure. That's the best form of coverage. Yeah, sack the quarterback or bring pressure. But defensively, coverage-wise, what what'd you see the last couple practices that Oregon's trying to do?
3: See, we didn't see
5: at, at, at earlier in the week. We, we don't get to see a lot. We do get to see more than you know other schools maybe necessarily, <laughs> certainly more than what I was accustomed to during the season. But we don't get to see a lot as far as the full defensive formation. So, it's a little curious. That's why I asked Christopher during the week, and I asked him on Wednesday, saying more of a general overarching question about, all right, well, in the NFL you see really post passing attacks, not air raid style, but close. When you see that, you will see defensive coordinators employ eight and nine DB packages. How come we haven't seen that as much? That's that, one, in general. But, two, to try and emote a response about, hey, you're going to run a lot of Ultimately, said they feel pretty confident that they're able to achieve what an NFL team would do in an eight-nine defensive back package. They feel they can do it time, which I think a lot of college teams would, because of the hybrid linebacker, the edge guys, especially in a three-four, where those outside linebackers in Oregon's three-four are kind of quasi-eight/slash-nine technique kind of guys anyway, could probably put their hand in the dirt and be a six anyway. So you get a lot. Of Have to make that call, but against a five-wide receiver set, do I expect to see a lot of dime? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Now, will Jim levitt ever pull the trigger and try and do something like an eight-nine DB package? If he was ever going to do it, it's going to be on a night like tonight against somebody like Washington State. But I'm just not sure we're going to see that necessarily. But dime, yeah, I would think they're going to be a dime a whole lot
2: yeah yeah, you keep him in the in between the 20s uh you've done your job against this type of offense and that's what they' they're good at between the 20s is keep making kick field goals and the pressures gonna come on Jalen Jelks, Justin Hollins, like you said on the edge in that seven eight nine technique taking those angles and putting pressures on garden menchu
0: all right James we'll get you out here what's your what's your call man how you feeling about this one?
5: I'm trying to stay consistent with it, just like last week when I told you guys, look, I think this is a one-score game. I think it's going to be close. What ended up being a one-score game, pretty close. And I was almost dead on it. Yeah, you, right. yeah, yeah. you were right. You <laughs> were right. You were
0: dialed in last I've, week.
5: I've, 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 I've stuck with it this week. I've been consistent with it. I can't close the flop, and i got to admit, but I'm going to stick with it. I've had a 35-31 Oregon all week. I'm going to stick with that. If I will say this. Oregon keeps Washington State under 30, as I said to uh, somebody else earlier in the week. If they keep it under 30, if they keep them under 28. Yeah. Wow. I think they win. It's a landslide. Because I don't, think, I, I don't think Washington State, as good as their past defense is, numerically. You start breaking into those numbers a little bit, and you can see openings, especially in the running game. If Oregon can keep Washington State under 30, I think they win potentially quite big. But I do think this could be a pretty close
0: game, 35-31. Follow him on Twitter, at James Crepia. He covers the Ducks for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. James, thanks so much for taking the time on the pregame as always. We'll uh, try to catch up with you for a couple of minutes uh, on the postgame as well. Thanks a lot. Sounds
5: good. Thanks,
0: Oh, There he is, James Crepia. He's calling it 35-31 for the Ducks. Another really tough, going to be a close physical matchup, as always, Neil. And uh, it's great to unpack, you know, the matchups on the field in this game because it's all about the matchups in the end. All right, we'll hit the break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the other games in the Pac-12 going on right now. Uh, the Beavers, uh, like keeping it modest within striking distance. Also, what uh, the other headlines around the top 25 and a key matchup in the eyes of Neil Lomax in this game. That's all on the other side. Countdown to kickoff on 1029.755 game you're probably in the car you got to get to your place man you got to get to your friend's house your buddy's house your own house you know get into the lazy boy kick back watch this game 4 30 fox you Ducks, should Coop. and you should have nothing else to do because portland state is not going to lose
2: <laughs> they will not lose they've won two games in a row come on now i gotta get yeah. my i gotta get my school a little little pub that's right little love that's right go to montana and beat the grizzlies at, at the washington family Stadium there in beautiful
0: Missoula. Mm-hmm. 52-yard field goal. And, man, Nolan, Col-
2: Nolan Colorado comes in. Have, don't, don't even come in. I mean, no. Portland State waxed them at home. Yeah. So got a buy. They do have a buy. So let people know Portland State's not playing. My Vikings, though, have won two in a row in the big sky.
0: Well, next week they will be back home to take on Sac State. That's right. Sacramento State in the house. The Hornets. Back to Hillsborough Stadium we go, baby. It's all right. Hey. It's all right. We don't win anywhere. It's a
2: big sky, big sky game, and uh, barney, Barney's barney got it going. So congrats to those guys for the last two weeks, and uh, a, a bye week well-deserved. And here we go.
0: Yeah. All right, we got a bit of a brief segment. Went pretty heavy there with James Crepia, but he was setting the scene very well from Pullman. But while we have a moment, let's get to a couple of the Pac-12 games, actually, that we weren't able to get to in our around the Pac-12 segment. And one of them being the Thursday night Stanford-Arizona State game. Stanford wins it 20-13. to You know, they really suffocate ASU's offense, led by Manny Wilkins, who throws for three fifty three in this game. But uh, does throw a pick in the last play of this game. Right. Manny throws a little shallow in the field of play with no timeouts on the last drive. And they run out of time. What'd you think of that, Stanford I, touchdown? Win? I, I,
2: I was so impressed with Stanford's secondary. Yeah. Their corners, the way they cover. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I was really impressed how well they played defense because it was a just kind of a slugfest, kind of boring game. Nothing really going on. I expect a lot more fireworks. Of Arizona State because Manny Wilkins Jr. has been there a long time. Harry's one of the best receivers I think in the nation. No question. He'll he'll be what I've been hearing from different you know the Todd McShay's and those guys, the ESPN top three wide receivers. Yeah, uh, will be drafted in the top in the first round. Uh, no question. It's a physical body, a Julio Jones looking so to shut him down again. Arizona State went twenty to twenty. That's what I'm talking about. You keep going those teams to twenty to twenty, you have a good chance to win. So I was a little disappointed in Arizona State. And that makes Herm Edwards three and four and one and three. Her. in Pac twelve. One and three. So welcome to real football. Those little opening games with Northern Arizona's and yeah. But it you know, again, good good victory, and they beat Michigan State. That was kind of fun on TV. That was probably their signature win, but from then they're they're one and three in Pac twelve.
0: UCLA crushed Cal, thirty-seven seven last week. The one and five Chip Kelly led Bruins are favored. By nine and a half points at home against Arizona, seven thirty. It's Arizona. How disappointing have they been? Incredible. I, I mean, you
2: go from to and, me the most improved or most valuable player offensively, which no question let LaVayesti Le- 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 Chennault Jr. You know, yeah. To me, the most disappointing player has been Khalil Tate. Very disappointing.
0: And injuries have had a big reason to. But he's still do been playing. Yeah. But he's playing. Yeah.
2: So if you're really injured, you shouldn't play. If you're hurt, but he's not you playing play. today.
0: He won't play today. It'll so be, uh, so he is injured. It'll be miniature Rodriguez. Oh, Richard, there you go. Richard's, Richard's kid. kid. Yeah.
2: And then UCLA runs rushing for over 200 yards. That's incredible. Yeah. But it was against Cal. Right. But I did like Cal's uniforms though. Yeah. I thought they looked pretty cool. That's gotta they be. Old, the old the old Joe Roth, Steve <laughs> Barkowski throwback in the 70s and early 80s
0: speaking of throwback cal's defense just threw back connor blunt on a sack midway through the fourth quarter bears 35 beef seven this is bad news man good thing i picked cal bad news bears bad news bears all right another neil lomax guest special coming up on the other side jack thompson Former Wazoo, great. He'll be joining us. Coming up, plus Lomax's pick on this game. This is Countdown to Kickoff, 1029 750 The Game. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Getting so hyped for this game, man. The closer we get to kickoff, the more excited I get every single show. Final half hour, 4.30 kick on Fox. He's the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby, and we've had a great show for guests all afternoon long. Mark Rippin joined us earlier. Of course, we went live to Pullman with James Crepia, of the Oregonian earlier as well. Nick Aliotti predicted a Washington State win as well earlier today, and Neil, you keep up the hot streak with these guests, man. You're on fire today. we got another amazing guest for this uh, football game.
2: Jack, the throwing Samoan. We were at Portland State. I remember hearing about this guy up in the Palouse throwing little dump-offs to some guy named, what, Mike Levenseller? (laughs) Little little white wide receiver running around. And we had four or five of those guys at Portland. And then Danny Dornick. (laughs) Dropping and the ball donuts. here, Jack. Welcome to the show. Uh, give us your take right now, Jack. In that atmosphere in in Pullman.
6: Well, well it started very early this morning. I I, I got to uh, game day set at uh, five o'clock Damn. and I got to <laughs> be one of the official um, uh, you know flag wavers for um, that that had been had gone to 217 straight consecutive game day games. Um, and this is the first time in 15 years that the game day came to Pullman so it started very early it is electric here awesome
0: i can't even begin to imagine because uh, you know jack they've been they've been just pining away for the national attention and particularly for the game day show i mean yeah. I, I was honestly getting emotional seeing it on tv today because it's so exciting <laughs> it, it's so it's so meaningful when uh, you know that kind of um spotlight comes to your campus to a place you care about so deeply. You all you, you only hope that the game lives up to that type of excitement and that hype because there's still a football game to be played here.
6: Exactly, Judah. And and it uh it funny cuz Reese Davis the uh the host of the show, he tweeted out on Wednesday, you know, there there film there was film on uh the bus driver pulling into Pullman. It was crazy. <laughs> and uh and Reese said, "This is the reception that Bobby, the bus driver, received, and it's only Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it only it, it just multiplied from there, and it culminated this morning with a, just an outrageous um, game day experience. And um, you know, now it's rolling into this game. And you know, to your point, Judah, I I, I personally think it's going to this game will live up to its hype. You have two great quarterbacks out there, and, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing." what the defenses are going to do to stop um, the, the, the offenses from both teams.
2: And, and Jack, hey, Neil here, you, you and I played uh, college football for – I mean, you, people don't remember, you played all four years. You know, started almost, I think, every game all four years. I played all four years in college. and Obviously, our pro careers kind of went in different ways. We both were hurt a lot and, you know, got a few years mm-hmm. in there. But collegiately, the fun we both had throwing the football around starting – playing that many years. Uh, Describe to folks about how that was for you back in the 70s in Pullman before, you know, really before the Drew Bledsoe's and the Jason Guessers and the Luke Falks and the Holiday – I mean, Mark Rippon. I mean, you're the one that really was the first Cougar quarterback to get things going and to play all four years.
6: Well, it was a dirty job someone had to do. it, And we had – we had – and the amazing thing of it all, though, well, that we did that with four new head coaches in four years. No no way. Uh, it was it was a yeah. We had my the, the coach that recruited me was Jim Sweeney, that was my freshman year. Jackie Sherrill came in, he gave me my start my my real start. And then uh, Warren Powers and then he left and then he got Jim Walden who stayed for ten years, which we needed him badly to stay. Uh, our our program was, you know, in disarray, frankly, and we had, we did all that we could to hold on, and fortunately, we did some really fun things at the quarterback position that it, it really drew quarterbacks who were predisposed to throwing the you know throwing the rock. You know, shortly after I left, a guy named Steve Grant took over, Samoa Samoa, but then Mark Rippin came, and he brought a different element, and he had a he had a howitzer for an arm, and then Tim Rosenbaugh, and then. From there, just you know, just kept right. on going, and we just we had to do something to attract um, uh, you know quarterbacks, and in this case, quarterbacks who can throw the rock.
0: Yeah, you know Jack Thompson joining us here on Countdown to Kickoff. Jack, do you remember how you got the nickname the Throwing Simone?
6: Well, I, I do. Um, it was um, uh, it was after a game I played against Minnesota. Um, And no, actually, yeah, after Minnesota, we went and went to Wisconsin. And Saturday morning in Wisconsin, I saw um, the newspaper, uh, you know, cover page of the sports page. uh, It said, for the first time I saw it, the throwing Simone is in town. And the person who tabbed that, though, wasn't a Wisconsin writer. It was a a writer for, the beat writer for Spokane, Harry (laughs) Misselby. First coined the term throwing Samoan, and he came up to me afterwards. Hey, I hope you don't mind me calling, you know, having that nickname. I said, why I'm Samoan and I throw the ball? What's 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 the beat? <laughs> <laughs> so, and it stuck. It, it you know the funny thing is it, it has stuck. Uh, now we have a bunch of other Samoan kids who are trying to you know take my nickname, and you know that's where I draw the line. No, <laughs> well,
2: they're all Polly you know, though. Now that, yeah they're, you, they're
6: you got, yeah yeah. You know, uh, hello, You know, you got two in Alabama. There's that kid in uh, Mississippi. I think Mississippi State. Uh, no, in Mississippi, Ole Miss. Right. Um, Jordan Taamu. Uh, there are a lot of um, you know Polynesian uh, quarterbacks out there, and you know they've tried to take off of my nickname, but you know I'm 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 older, and they they're supposed to respect their elders in the Polynesian culture.
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, Jack. This again. Uh, Hodson Stadium has been been told for a lot of us who haven't played there, uh, one of the most electric, uh, intimidating yeah. places to play. I've heard from a lot of people, and a very good friend of mine named Duck Dave, who's been everywhere, he's on the field right now. He says, Martin Stadium is one of the most difficult places to play. Ex- explain that to the folks out there that think it's kind of a, you know, come on and pull in. I mean, game day's there. You had to get extension yeah. core from spokane to get electricity there how in the hell you all that power from the palouse
6: hello oh low, man you, you missed your calling brother you have been a comedian. But, um the no you, you're right it, it's 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 a it's a special very unique place it's not as big nowhere near as big as opson stadium but the way uh, you know the stadium is built it it the sound just goes right down right down huh. to the field and um and, you know, when this stadium gets rocking and rolling, they're, they're, they're a raucous crowd, a bit on the, like um, I say, classless <laughs> <laughs> side, but they, they love to get into the heads of our opponents, you know, and uh, they just like to hear, uh, they'd like our opponents to hear uh, the thunder. They bring the thunder every, every game. And particularly now that, you know, with uh, Coach Leach, it's built, you know, they've built quite a legacy, and that we hope that they bring today.
0: Well, you know, Jack, uh, we'll let you go and settle in and, and get ready for this game. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what you think is going to happen on the field at Martin Stadium.
6: Well, it's funny that we're talking about the crowd. I think that uh, from a talent standpoint, you know, they're evenly matched. Uh, I said earlier, we have two great quarterbacks, and um, I want to see what the defenses will do to stop you know the offenses. But, you know, all things being equal, um, this stadium has to weigh in. And if they do, you know, I'm going to give the Cougs uh, yeah. the nod here. But uh, you knew that was coming, right, guys? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you should. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to watching this kid play. I saw him on film a couple times, and he's not really a kid. You know, Gardner, Gardner Menshew number number you two. Hear, yeah. We're talking about yeah. the grad transfer, so he's not some 18-year-old kid right out of, a, no. you know, Fall City High School or something nearby. Uh, but, Jack, <laughs> yeah. hey, we appreciate you go. Go root the Cougs. You've been a big, big supporter financially. Uh, just, just you're kind of the the mayor of the Palouse, the mayor of of, of Washington State. What you've done there with your family, uh, it's been incredible. Your philanthropy as well as your charitable stuff. Tell, tell Molly hello. We love her. And you just take care. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the football game.
6: Big hugs to Lori. Thank you, buddy. Good to talk to you. All
2: right, See you, Jack.
6: Jack. See you later, Jack.
0: The
2: oh, throwing, man. Samoan mowing. That is. So well, good I, stuff. I I cannot believe that four head coaches in 4 years. Unbelievable to me cuz I've had three offensive coordinators in 3 or 4 years in the pros, but never in co- I, How how did he stay there?
0: Yeah, I can't believe that. that.
2: I am I'm, I'm like, give me a bus ticket out of there, man. And I don't know, think they had, still, I don't think they had an airport back then. So <laughs> you got to get a bus ticket out of there. And he still put up numbers. <laughs> oh.
0: You know, in every year that he was there, I mean, you're talking about 20 touchdowns as a sophomore, you know, 13 more as a junior. You know, 17, his senior year, picked third overall in the draft. Third overall pick going to Cincinnati Bengals, and he had a pretty good rookie, rookie year and everything,
2: and all of a sudden, where did they trade him? Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. Good luck with that in the early 70s.
0: Who was the first pick in the 1979 draft? Do you? Ooh. We're talking about a... Uh, first pick, 79? First pick in 79, a defensive player who went to Ohio State, played linebacker. Oh. <sighs> I wonder if he ever sacked you. Spielman wasn't there. Was it wasn't Spielman? No. God. He, 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 Tom Cousinno. Oh, no, Cousineau. Cousineau. Tom Cousineau. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Tom, Tom there you go. That was close. Yeah.
2: It's like my pronunciations <laughs> with the poly names. My God. Tom Cousineau. I, I did not know that. In fact, know,
0: Jack Thompson was the first offensive player taken in that draft third overall because the defensive end from Colorado State went to the Chiefs two overall named Mike Bell. Yeah. Remember Mike Bell? Decent player. But, no, the,
2: the whole the whole legacy of the quarterbacks there, you know, and they had a great one last year with Luke Falk, and there's an emotional thing as well with these quarterbacks that we all know about. I've got to give uh, a little mention of Tyler Helensky and his family, mm-hmm. um, what he obviously committed suicide before the Holiday Bowl or after the Holiday Bowl last year in January, a shock not just to the the Palouse and the, the Cougar Nation family all across college football. Uh, you hate to see that. And their family has done some great charitable work and as well as education on CTE. So a shout-out to his family. And Coug Nation, you know what? It's kind of fun having game day there. I think it's great. It's good for the Northwest. It's good for Pac-12. It's good for college football.
0: No question about it, Neil. All right, but it's time for us to make our prediction on this game. You know, I felt one way going into the show. Then we've had all these guests that have been leaning Wazoo, including Nick Aliotti. Now I don't know how to feel. I was leading Ducks, and then Wazoo was, uh, you know, on the back of my mind as the show unfolded. During the break, I'll, I'm going to decide who I'm going to go with in this game. So will you? We'll talk about the matchups on the field. We'll make our predictions. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Newby. Countdown to kickoff on 102.9 750. The game. Wanted to thank the guests that we've had so far today, including Mark Rippin, joined us live from DC. Doing some foundational work with the Redskins. Redskins-Cowboys coming up Sunday. That's a big game. People a little too high on the Cowboys right now after their uh, dominant win over the Jaguars last week. I like the Redskins to win that game and land over. Um, but that's uh, beside the point. Also, Jack Thompson, the throwing some mowing, joined us in our previous segment. That was a lot of fun. Nick Aliotti joined us. James Crepia of the Oregonian joined us. Now, uh, it's our final segment. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby. Also, thanks Peter Sampson spinning it. Neil, it's time for our final matchup predictions and our game predictions here. And let's start with the quarterback for the Oregon Ducks, Justin Herbert, who has played so well on the road in his Pac-12 career. Going to Martin Stadium, the site of his first career touchdown as an Oregon Duck, a rushing touchdown in 2016. What do you expect out of Justin tonight? I
2: expect him to play really well. And he has been. I mean, he's bottled up a little bit by the Huskies last week, but... He's going to come to front. He's done, done it all year. Here's a guy that's thrown for over 1,600 yards, uh, only five picks, 17 touchdown passes. I love his body of work. I love this physically, and we talked about his mental and his heart. Uh, he's leading this team with 40. I mean, he's leading a team that's been scoring 43-plus points. And they'll quite, they score over 40 points in this football game. They're going to win. That's They're going to win. If they, he can lead his team and they score over 40 points, they will win this football game.
0: Justin Herbert, six career Pac-12 road starts, 16 touchdowns and one pick. And that one pick was in double overtime at Cal in his first road start of his career back in 2016. All right, Washington State on the defensive line. How are they going to try to stop Oregon's rush attack? Well, they play three down linemen, typically, with three linebackers and five guys in the secondary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The weight of their D linemen, how about Logan Tago? Starts at end, 250 pounds. Taylor Comfort, nose tackle, 280 pounds. Will Rogers, left end, 250 pounds. They are very light up front in terms of height and weight, but they're very athletic, and just like San Jose State did in week three, they'll slant the crap out of you in the run game. So, Neil, Oregon's offensive line, what do they have got to do against these athletic Wazoo D linemen?
2: Well, you're right, and they're quick. You're right. It's not just about speed and the size. The quickness is different. That five-yard, this game's a game of five-yard bursts. That's what this football is all about. It's four to five yard bursts. And you mentioned all those names defensive line wise, but here's the guys I'm looking for. Peyton Pillor has been there for, what, six years now. He had an injury last year. I know his dad. Uh, you know, I got Steve. You got Scott Pillor. Steve Pillor is a very good quarterback. Scott, very good linebacker. Cougar blood throughout their family lines. Skyler Thomas is another one. I mean, Peyton Pillor's got 50, 50, over 50 tackles, 50 total tackles. Yep. And Skyler Thomas comes up from the safety position, he's really good. The secondary, Woods, Hunter, Thompson. So not just the front three or four, it's the secondary to contain those wide receivers. And that's the matchup. Can they contain the Dylan Mitchells, the Jalen Reds, Johnny Johnson the third, Jacob Breland? That's the key again is Washington State secondary handling Oregon's offense. And right now, as you've seen too, to the last couple weeks, it's really Dylan Mitchell's show. So I'm hoping now if they go ahead and tag him and put a safety on top, Justin Herbert's going to go number two and number three. So you're going to get a lot of touches from C.J. Vardell, who's actually caught the ball nine times. So he's catching the ball. Kano Dillon. I think we're going to see a lot more of Kano Dillon and Jacob Breland.
0: Yeah, love how Kano Dillon profiles. Just got to squeeze it. He had a drop over the middle last week that was just hummed in by yes. Herbert, but got to squeeze it. Third down. We foreshadowed this with James Crepia earlier in the show as well. But how about this? Oregon offensively has converted 50%. Of their third downs this year. That's 10th in the country. Wazoo defensively allowing opponents to convert 28% mm-hmm. on third down. 8th in the country. What's Something's got to give here on third down.
2: Absolutely. Let's go to the next down. Here's what's interesting to me as I'm looking at some stats and doing some research. I mean, Washington State has gone for it 17 times in fourth down. All of these have been fourth and eight or less, of course. But still, they're 14 for seventeen. That's an 82% conversion rate on fourth down. 17 times. Now, Oregon is 9-for-13 on fourth down. We know about Stanford one, but still 9-for-13, not that much, 70%. But expect the Cougars. This is, again, this is Leach. This is the mad professor. This is the mad scientist. Hey, don't, don't get surprised, folks. It's fourth and three, fourth on their side of the ball, and he goes for it that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: I can guarantee you that's going to happen. All right, last category I want your thoughts on is the red zone. College football always seems to come down to third down, red zone, and turnovers. In the red zone, Oregon has made 28 trips as an offense this year. They've scored 22 touchdowns in those 28 trips. And of the 22 touchdowns, they have 13 rushing touchdowns Mm -hmm. and nine passing. They love to run the rock in the plus 20 and in to finish it. Exhibit A, Washington. Washington. How about third and goal from the six. Let's run it up the right yep. side. Score that game winner. Wazoo defensively has allowed twelve red zone touchdowns in seventeen trips, and ten of the twelve touchdowns they've allowed have been rushing touchdowns. I think that's advantage Oregon in this game. How do you see the red zone?
2: I, I agree with that. You know, Oregon has the proven rushing attack, but you know James Williams has caught thirty two balls. Mm. He's their quote running back, but inside the five yard line. Uh, you do get Max Borgi, does come in. Right. He rushed the ball a lot. James Williams will carry the ball a lot. But again, here's what comes down to and You brought this up a few weeks ago. You keep forgetting. Field goal kickers. So you got in the red area. No, three points is a big deal still. Yes. You don't want to come empty. Oregon now has is only two for five in field goals. Two for five all year. Blake Meza from the Cougars is five for eight. So not a lot. These both schools do not want to kick field goals.
0: Mazza do They don't,
2: don't want to kick field goals. So it's going to come down to this that these guys aren't the most proficient field goal kickers.
0: Right. Maza has made a 50-yarder this year. He has He's 5-for-8, but he has connected from 50. So we know he has a leg if they trust him with that distance late in the game. Garner Minshew, 19 touchdowns, 4 picks. Two of those 4 picks have been in the red zone this year. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. All right, Dale. So, a, turn, so a turnover might make this... Difference of the game? That's what I'm calling. I'm saying a red zone turnover is going to determine this game, and I think it's Minshew throwing it in the red zone to the Duck defense, tipped ball, Amadi comes down with it to secure the first Oregon win of his career against Washington State. They've lost three in a row. My pick, Ducks win on that red zone turnover, 37-33. to
2: What do you and got? So all you guys. So we got Brian, we got Jordan Kent, we got all the you know, Nick Aliotti. Yeah. Well actually Nick Aliotti went he, to Washington State. He went coops. And James Creppa says same thing, mm-hmm. close game. Since all you guys are picking Oregon, I'm gonna flip the coin here right go. now. Seriously. <laughs> why?
0: <laughs> there it goes. It lands. Oh, it's
2: tails. It's tails. So <laughs> I'm gonna go usually you always call tails the head team the head. But who's the, tails in this? Scenario? Because uh if you're at home, you always call the opposite. You never call heads. So okay. I got Washington State is going to win. I'm just going to say it. Washington State is going to win it. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I have no clue. Uh, I don't even know who the hell's playing. <laughs> oh, it's Oregon at Washington State. Okay. That's
0: that's the game. Yeah,
2: I'm going to say Washington State's going to beat them by ten. Wow. Yeah. What's the score? 42-32.
0: All right, Low Max is on the cougs. I'll take Oregon in a close game. Call in 503-417-7575 right after the game on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Enjoy the game, everybody.